Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, October 27th, 2023. I'm Brian Peter Angelo, and welcome to the podcast. As we prepare our recording for this morning, we continue to pause and reflect on the war between Israel and Hamas and the horrific human casualties that we're seeing, and now also U.S. involvement in the conflict in Syria, plus terrible tragedies here at home in the state of Maine this week. As we reflect on those events, which are certainly significantly more important than ourselves, we also realize we need to turn back to the purpose of our podcast, which is to try and bring you up to speed on this week's market and economic news. So with me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to share their insights on this week's market activity and more. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. And for today's podcast, we have a special treat for you. No, not in terms of Halloween, which is next week, by the way, but in terms of a special portion of our conversation to celebrate the 100th episode of the Key Wealth Matters podcast. So after we discuss our usual weekly market and economic recap topics, our special treat is that we'll hear from our experts as to some of their favorite investing principles that they have learned and still use over their professional careers and personal lives. We think our listeners will especially enjoy this, so stay tuned. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealthinsights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series, which we talk about and reference every Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. In terms of this week's news, we've got a lot to report, so we'll start with the economic data for the week, leading off with Wednesday, where we had new home sales up for the month of September. On Thursday, we saw initial unemployment claims for the week ending October 21st came in at 210,000, which remained low and were up 10,000 compared with the previous week, but almost exactly the same as two weeks ago. So that's consistency for you, as the job market remains resilient for now. Also on Thursday, the advance estimate for the third quarter 2023 real GDP or gross domestic product for the United States came in at a 4.9% annualized rate, which was higher than expected and more than double for the second quarter, which was at 2.1%. So this continues to be boosted by consumer spending, and it's good news to keep the economy on track. And finally, just this morning, the report on Personal Consumption's Expenditures Index of Inflation, otherwise known as PCE, was released, and it showed that overall PCE inflation rose 3.4% year-over-year for the month of September, which is the third month in a row at that level. However, the measure that the Fed keeps an eye on for policy decisions is core PCE inflation, which excludes the more volatile subcomponents of food and energy, and that increased 3.7% year-over-year for September, modestly lower than 3.8% for August. And the Federal Reserve is highly likely to pause next week, given the directional slowing of PCE inflation as part of their dual mandate, 
and wait for additional data, including the employment situation next Friday to consider for the December meeting. But we'll certainly give Rajiv the opportunity to share his insights with us a little later in the podcast. Also, earlier in the week in Washington, Mike Johnson, Republican from Louisiana, was named Speaker of the House, possibly bringing a little bit of stability back to the dysfunction that we see within the Capitol. We'll also talk third quarter earnings releases from some big companies this past week, and we'll preview next week's FOMC meeting. So, George, let's turn to you for your reaction to this week's economic news and see if you think the classic Halloween pillowcase will be full of economic tricks or treats. George? So, Brian, I think there's probably a bit of each uh, that can be kind of gleaned from this past week in terms of tricks and treats, but mostly, mostly I think there's probably a, a week full of treats on the economic side. You know, generally speaking, the numbers were pretty, uh, pretty strong and probably strongly expected. Uh, maybe turning to inflation first. You know, inflation was probably a little bit stronger than expected. It's, it's coming down, and we've talked about that on these podcasts before, but it's still somewhat elevated and kind of sticky, as people might call it. So we're making some progress there, but not, uh, not a whole lot. We're still kind of in that kind of 3 to 4% range, which is obviously higher than two, the Fed's official target. So there's still some wood to chop there. Um, but again, the trend is still our friend, if you will, in the sense that it's come down a little bit uh, from where it was this past summer. I think also in the treat category, you could kind of say the jobs numbers were pretty decent as well. Uh, we look at things like uh, early indications of unemployment or uh, kind of measuring the overall strength of the labor market. And something called employment claims actually did rise this past week, but uh, it wasn't anything too worrisome. You know, typically when you start to see those numbers kind of float around 325, 325,000, um, you know, that probably suggests that things are really slowing down. The numbers this week were still in the low 200,000s. Um, that said, you know, inside the, the trick category, um, there were a few things in those numbers that suggest that people who are unfortunately unemployed are probably having a little tougher time finding work in the sense that once you're kind of filing unemployment, um, those numbers kind of pick up a little bit. Uh, and we actually kind of see those numbers kind of build a little bit. Maybe that's strike-related. Maybe there's other things that are somewhat maybe um, boosting those numbers. But I think overall, the numbers suggest that you know things are okay in the labor market um, and still relatively healthy. And then lastly, I kind of point to the fact that overall consumer spending continues to be pretty brisk and also income levels you know, based on wages was also pretty uh, pretty healthy for the past month or so as well. We got some numbers on that this morning. So I think overall, I think it's probably a, a situation where the economy is doing quite well. Um, slowing a little bit at the margin. You know, I think the big number that people probably focus on this week, even though it's backward looking, I think it still deserves mention, uh, which is the overall uh, uh, measure of the, the entire economy, which is measured by something called GDP or gross domestic product. That number rose almost 5% year over year. Um, the consensus forecast, I think it was around 3.5%. So the consensus missed it by a lot. And not only was the consensus wrong kind of coming into this report, but four months ago, Many people in the consensus community thought that um, the, the economy would be growing close to zero. So we're kind of you know, well above that for sure. I mean, five is a lot uh, greater than zero. And the overall nominal level of GDP right now is, is really quite extraordinarily high. A lot of that, again, is being boosted by spending. Um, and the consumer, again, is kind of a big part of that, um, that overall number. But we saw other parts of the economy uh, growing probably faster than expected too. So I would guess, Steve, you know, what you're seeing on, um, on the company side is probably a reflection of that in the sense that we've talked about nominal GDP as being really kind of a correlation, a high correlation uh, with that and overall revenues. So what have you seen this week with respect to earnings and corporate profits uh, as we kind of go through the quarter? Well, we've gotten both treats and tricks, George. So if you look at the 
actual numbers that are coming through the the both revenue and eps are surprising modestly to the upside um and we're on pace to see year-over-year -year growth in both revenues and earnings if you extrapolate the current beat rate out through the end of earnings season and 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 i say that because right now we're about halfway through we've got right around 250 of the s p 500 companies that have, will have reported by the end of the week so we're making a little bit of a guess there um it looks like earnings at the end of earnings season will be growing somewhere between four and five percent year over year which is kind of in line with those gdp numbers that you're saying and if you look um back where we were a year ago you know this kind of brings us out of this quote-unquote earnings recession because it would mean that that earnings would hit a a new high as we head head into the fourth quarter. Um, the trick in this has been that companies that have been beating on both top and, and, and bottom lines are only up about a half a percent on average relative to a beat. Normally when you double beat, you go up a percent over the last five years on average. And double misses are just getting smacked. They're down 6% on average versus a minus 3% um, move typically. So uh, it's really been a rough earnings season. Uh, I think there have been some companies that have have thrown in kind of the towel on maybe what their expectations were for the year. Usually October earnings season is usually rough because you tend to get companies that have been maybe living on hopes and dreams for the first half of the year. You get a reality check in the third quarter that, that numbers are going to have to be adjusted. So you're getting a little bit of that. But um, I will admit that that it's been a a a pretty rough uh, road to hoe so far this this quarter. So, Rajiv, on the fixed income side, you know we probably should acknowledge the fact that next week could be an interesting week full of tricks and treats for you as well. We've got the Fed coming down um, on us, and and we'll be talking about interest rates pretty soon. What are you seeing in the bond market this week? Well, definitely a lot of tricks and treats in the bond market, uh, George, but. Uh, you know, the big, uh, the big thing that everybody's looking at is the FOMC meeting next week, and all expectations are that the Fed will keep rates unchanged for that meeting. Uh, some of the reasons for why these expectations are there is, uh, you know, we have geopolitical risk, which is always an X factor. Uh, the recent surge in rates across the yield curve has almost served as a rate hike in itself. We had the ECB pausing yesterday for the first time in over a year. And then you have that core PC price index uh, coming in softer than expected. So. If we look at that PCE print in isolation, it really does feel like uh, it's playing into the soft landing narrative that the Fed wants us to believe in. It caused yields in the front end of the yield curve to move lower. That lower than expected core PCE number outweighed the positive surprise that you mentioned about the GDP data. So we saw two-year yields push lower. We saw SOFR futures yields. Uh, they also went down a couple of basis points on the day. There was some initial confusion on how to balance both the PCE data and the GDP data. Uh, you have a stronger economy, so that plays into the Fed being higher for longer, uh, you know, keeping the Fed in play. But then you look at the lower inflation data, so maybe that takes the Fed out of the equation. And bond traders, I, I believe, were really caught off guard uh, out of position. They were really positioned for a bear steepener going into that uh, GDP print. A bear steepener, is, in other words, is, is betting that long-term bond rates would increase at a faster pace than shorter dated ones. Quite the opposite occurred. We saw, we saw a front end actually move lower. And that leads to our conviction here to maintain a duration discipline. And also like the Fed, we also remain data dependent as well. So the data dependency that we're seeing in the market 
it's leading to the expectation that the Fed will remain on hold at the next uh, meeting, which is next week. And in all likelihood, I think the Fed could really be done raising rates to be all in all. I think they might be done. Uh, but the big question is, does the Fed stick to that narrative of higher for longer? And if they stick to that narrative, I don't think the, bar- the market's going to like that. The market really wants to see the Fed start to talk about rate cuts. They're not doing it. That narrative that we've seen from the Fed is really playing a big uh, role in keeping the 10-year Treasury note yield trending towards that 5% that we've been seeing for the last couple of weeks. And as soon as we got to that 5% point earlier this week, uh, we saw buyers step in. And uh, they stepped in in a big way and got us down to around 485 on the 10-year. We also had a $38 billion uh, seven-year Treasury auction this week. Uh, All expectations were that it would not do well. It actually did well. Uh, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that investors are getting comfortable with adding some duration. You've got month end around the corner. Maybe investors are looking at adding duration around this time. Bonds have rallied post the data yesterday. And I do expect some of this rally to maybe stall next week because we do have the FOMC meeting next week. We have Treasury funding announcements next week. But uh, it, all in all, I think that uh, I think the market really is looking at opportunities to add duration in this in this market. And then they're, they're taking advantage of some of these rates. I also want to point out that we did see a slowdown in new issuance for corporate bonds this week. And I think that's very important because we've talked about credit spreads on these calls before, and we only had about $5 in new issuance for investment grade, uh, and and we're on track for the slowest October in over a decade. October is generally a blockbuster month for new issuance. It slowed down a little bit this month. That coupled with solid earnings announcement from some of the bigger issuers, it led to credit, uh, credit spreads moving tighter this week. And for investment grade, we see credit spreads around 126 basis points over U.S. Treasuries. That's less than the one-year average, which is 130 basis points. So we're we're well below the wides that we saw in credit spreads for investment grade. The wides were back in uh, March when we had the banking crisis. We saw credit spreads around 160 basis points at that time. So it seems very comfortable right now in credit in credit land. And and I think that the demand remains there. The demand is robust. It should keep credit spreads range bound in the near term. And we're not showing any panic signs in credit spreads right now of an economic recession. So thanks for the shortened discussion today for today's economic and market recap so that we can now turn to the special portion of our podcast to hear from each one of you on one or two of your favorite investing principles that you've embraced and have used over your illustrious careers that might be helpful to our listeners. So George, let's start with you with some of your favorites. Well, Brian, I think I could probably think about a lot of things that I've uh, kind of taken heart over the past several years of my career. But, you know, one of which I kind of often refer to is the fact that markets don't care about good or bad. Markets care about better or worse, meaning there's all kinds of, fortunately, there's all kinds of bad news uh, that we have to process uh, in the investment business and really kind of throughout life. But oftentimes the markets really are some agnostic about that in the sense they want to may see incremental progress and maybe monitor if things are getting better or worse. Uh, And so I think it's sometimes the second derivative that the markets care most about, not so much the actual uh, news of itself. And then kind of related to that, um, I had a a boss that once told me that, you know, don't confuse genius with the bull market. Maybe he was talking to me. He probably was. Uh, And the idea is sometimes a rising tide does lift all boats, but you have to be more discerning amidst some market uh, volatility on the upside as well as the downside. And he often used to say as well that you shouldn't equate motion with progress, meaning sometimes we often see th- things moving on our screen or, or moving around uh, the news flow, and we often put <clears throat> an outsized importance on, on those things as well. So I, I think those are things that I kind of look to as kind of uh, things in my career that have been helpful. I'd also kind of acknowledge, Brian, really quickly that um, a really legendary person named Byron Wien passed away this past week. 
Uh, Byron is somebody I, I knew kind of casually, but um, he knew a lot more people than, than I could even acknowledge. Um, but he often used to talk about the fact that when you meet somebody new, treat them as your friend. And really, I think that's kind of a good way to kind of end my, uh, my thoughts on, on key principles for us to focus on. Fantastic, George. Thanks for sharing that. How about you, Steve? I'll give you two, Brian. So the first one is uh, always know your edge. And what I mean by that is if you're going to um, place an investment, you better understand exactly why you are putting that position on and understand why you're different from consensus. Because if your view isn't different from consensus, then you're not going to have any performance uh, come out of that position. And, you know, quite frankly, um, you know, we're we're lucky here because we've got two sources of edge that come from one from com comes from our clients or listening to this podcast. And that is they trust us to invest their money for the long term. And, you know, we compete in the market daily with people who get measured on weekly and monthly performance in some instances. So, um, you know, having a true long term orientation uh, helps us win in the markets. And then the other one is, you know, myself and my team, we have to put the puzzle pieces together differently than other folks. Um, if we want to have an edge. So, you know, we know what our edge is. Um, if you're an investor, you better know what yours is. If you don't know what it is, you don't have one. And then the second one is uh, always place meaningful bets. I, I can't tell you how often early in my career, I whether it's myself or other people, you come up with a great investment idea, you put it in a portfolio, but you haven't sized the position large enough to make a impact on the portfolio's returns. So think about maybe you pick a stock and it goes up 50%, but you only have a 1% position on in the portfolio. You didn't really do yourself any favors by picking that winner. So, you know, we really focus on uh, managing our risk within the portfolio to allow us to take meaningful bets on the ideas that we think are truly differentiated and give us the ability to generate returns for the client. So always place meaningful bets is my second one. Spoken from a true investor running stock portfolio, Steve. Thanks so much for sharing with us. And finally, Rajiv, what are your thoughts? Well, thank you, Brian. I really feel that, you know, throughout my career, there's been a couple of uh, very solid uh, investing pr principles that I've stuck with. One of them that comes to mind is the fact that always listen to your client, what their risk tolerance is, adhere to that. Uh, there's no gray area here. Uh, when we work with our clients, we really want to do what's right for them. Uh, we work for them. We craft investment policy statements with them. Uh, and we never want to have a gray area on investment policy statement or taking an outside risk the client is not prepared for. So I think uh, listening to client is extremely important. I think I've, uh, I've worked with clients in the past that, uh, you know, We've really tried to cover every single scenario so to make sure that uh, we're not going to do something outside of their best interest. And I think that's very important for us. And I'd say the second uh, investment principle that I really stuck with is the fact that you want to create a diversified portfolio. We construct portfolios for our clients. We look at asset classes in fixed income. We look at security selection. And when we craft a portfolio, we don't want to have any single uh, adverse event negatively impact the entire portfolio. So you wanna be diversified, you wanna have diversity of asset class, you wanna have diversity of securities. It's extremely important. We've seen it in the past where there's the, the GFC back in 2008 or the recent banking crisis we saw this year. No single adverse event should be enough to take out an entire portfolio. And I think it's very important to be diversified. But I'm not gonna stop right there, Brian. I'm not gonna let you off the hook. What are your investment principles that we're talking about? What's close to your heart, Brian? 
Oh, thanks, Rajiv. I appreciate it. You know, so one of mine is also along the same lines as yours with diversification, but I go to the asset allocation level. So if you go back to those of us that have studied a couple of decades ago, Roger Ibbotson and Rex Sinkfield talked about their studies and their research that concluded that the prominent driver of an investor's portfolio performance is related to their overall asset allocation, which is the mix of your stocks, bonds, and cash relative to what your goals and objectives are rather than trying to time the market or individual securities selection. So as a result, you know, I kind of believe asset allocation is really an important aspect of why we consider and why I personally have considered in my own investment strategy, this corn explorer strategy or philosophy where we're using low cost index-based investing to cover the main or core areas of asset allocation. And then we also add other areas of active management or private capital or alternatives to round out our positions on the explore area of your portfolio. And doing that, in my opinion, really balances the risk that you have in addition to where you want to concentrate your portfolio over the long term. You know, my second one is something I sort of learned from my dad, who was in the banking business for 35 years. And, and as I grew up in that, as important as diversification is, the saying that I've heard is you can't diversify yourself to retirement. So therefore, savings and accumulation is a really important component of investing success because it starts with the saving side of the equation that allows you to then invest earlier in your career, take the advantage of compound accumulation of returns, take advantage of things like uh, dollar cost averaging into the market, taking advantage of things when the market is down, being willing to have money on the sidelines to invest when you want to buy low and sell high. So that would be my second one that I came to really love and enjoy from the perspective of not only my personal investing habits, but also really helping clients and young investors help to save for their overall career. Well, thanks for the extra special conversation today, George, Stephen, Rajiv. We appreciate your insights as well as a glimpse into a few of your favorite investing principles. In addition, I'd like to thank our extended team behind the scenes that helps to assemble and distribute this podcast each week as it's a tremendous help that supported our ability to get to our 100th episode. Quentin Jenkins, our production expert. Sarah Fay, Bethany Hench, and Arlen Gray from our marketing team. Laura Mamora from our public relations and media team. And Tina Myers from our Key Wealth Institute. Also, thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app, and maybe you've got a few of your investing principles that you like as well. In addition, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. 
Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA Incorporated or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with KeyBank. Investments in insurance products are not FDIC insured, not being guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decision. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.